Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadge Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. If this is the first time you're listening to our podcast, thank you for trying something new. I will reiterate, Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists, and we're also very good friends. And I should also point out, thank you to all the people who keep returning to our podcast, despite the same intro that we've been we've had going on for like five years. Don't draw attention to the fact that the intro is the same. And never pre-recorded. That's a rookie mistake. I know. Um, ben, why don't you tell all of our listeners where they can find your work. If they like the tone of your voice, they can just go to these websites or publications. Yeah, you can get the and- same information without hear- having to hear me speak, I guess, is the, <laughs> the real upshot of the written word here. Yes. Um, you can find my work, which is not at all narrated by me, at Motor Trend, at Car and Driver, at Haggerty, and at Inside Hook. And you can find my heavily edited work over at autotrader.ca, driving.ca, Nouveau Magazine, uh, and, and, and Automotive News Canada, as well as Car and Driver. Isn't that right, Ben? Yeah, that if you go to newsstands right now, that Car and Driver issue has Sammy like right near the front. So Aren't go... you in it too? No, not this one. Uh, You're next, in the next one. Next one, I think. Yeah, we'll Perfect. see. I like that we trade off. We're like, we've got this. We've got a good system. Well, contractually, it's, it's, it's in there. <laughs> Remember when we when, there used to be times when we used to be on like side by side in the wheel section or something like that, and it was just too much to handle. I think there were a couple times where we were the wheel section of the Toronto <laughs> yeah. Star, which was surprising and fun. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, that was an awful time to take it. Yeah, it really was. Like there was an awkward <laughs> pause, and it felt honestly after coming after our hubristic boast like that. Um, yes, really off-putting. So no, it, it helps balance the tone of the podcast, and we're not as, we're not very good at all, really. <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, this is all over the place. So I think I'm just going to dive right into the first vehicle I want to talk about this week. Uh, Sammy, there's a, there's a vehicle that comes up. <laughs> I remember when our podcast used to be primarily about the Dodge Char- the Dodge Challenger, and then the Wrangler, and then the Wrangler. But it, it was it was essentially like an FCA oriented podcast because we were driving every single high performance SRT version of every platform they had. Yep. And nowadays there are fewer of those, and I feel like it's winter time, so we're not really driving those vehicles anyway. But there is another model that keeps coming up in regular conversation, and it makes sense because we're driving so many crossovers these days. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a particular crossover out there, SUV, I guess you could call it because of the size, that really it compares well not just against more affordable vehicles, but also against luxury vehicles. And that's the, the Hyundai Palisade. And I feel like the Palisade is a little bit our yardstick for what a three-row crossover SUV should be. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I think it really has become the new – it and the Telluride. I personally like the Telluride. I think you've always preferred the Palisade. Um, and I think those two cars, which are mechanically identical, but fit like, like visually different, um, and packaging is, is different between the two as well. Um, really ends up being the benchmark that almost all other three row crossovers are, are put up against. And this is true even for luxury vehicles. Like we've had some, some models come on that are priced at ten twenty thousand $20,000 more than the most expensive Palisade, which I think tops out around 50,000 mm-hmm. and they don't necessarily separate themselves very well when it comes to features or style or refinement or whatever. And it's that versatility that's kind of made the Palisade the go-to for us. So 
this year, 2023, the, the, I believe the Palisade came out in 2020 for the first time, or it's a 2020 model year, so maybe 2019. Yeah. And this year, 2023, there is a refresh. Uh, they didn't really change a lot of things. Um, I, I picked one up. That's spoiler alert. That's what we're talking about. And <laughs> I picked up the refresh. I was excited because I wanted to see how much better this vehicle could get. And, and from the outside, the changes are kind of immediately obvious in the sense that they've reconfigured the lighting so that it kind of it, it blends more into the grill the grill is maybe a little more prominent drops down a little more uh but it's not a huge change and at the back that the differences are even more subtle there's a uh the bumper at the bottom has been reconfigured to kind of move the lighting or the reflectors i guess and it, it's not it's not you wouldn't look at it and think okay this is dramatic you know and then you go inside the vehicle and it's the same kind of thing. It, they've changed some materials, uh, most notably seat upholstery in the front. You can get heated seats in the back now. And I mean like the way, way back, like the third row. Yeah. I wow. Believe, yeah, I know. It's 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 a nice feature to have. I mean, not that I'll ever be back there. Uh, but if you want to keep the kids quiet and warm at the same time, I guess you can do that now. It also gets a massage feature for the driver. If you get that particular model, I believe it's the signature. Is, is that what it's called? Uh, yeah, I guess so. No, it's not signature because... There's the Land Rover Autobot calligraphy. That's what it calligraphy. is. Calligraphy. Yeah, Signature is Mazda's premium. Exactly. Premium. And then, but I remember calligraphy because it reminds me of Land Rover's autobiography. Yes. Um, still not the best uh, vehicle trim name of all time. That goes to the BMW 7 Series, the next 100 years, which I think, I think I'm missing <laughs> I a few parts that. of that name. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, so, you know, the, 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 the steering wheel's different. In the sense that the interior shape has changed. The dashboard, they moved the trim around. The screen at the front is still 12 inches, but I believe it has a higher resolution. All these things are really detailed, Sammy. It's not It's not so much that they've made any major updates to the functionality or design of the Palisade. Now, how okay. does that make you feel? Like, Do you think that after four years on the market, that's a valid or successful strategy to make? I think that's okay, honestly, because competitively... No one has really reached the, the 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 level that Hyundai and Kia have set out for this car, and I know that's a, probably a, a bold statement to have that an automaker can relax for a moment. But they've got other things that they're working on that I think are pushing the envelope too. Well, in, in terms of relaxing, they certainly did that mechanically because everything about the Palisade is pretty mm. much carryover. It's the same 3.8 liter V6, so it's 291 horsepower, 262 pound-feet of torque. You got an eight-speed automatic, front-wheel drive or all-wheel drive. It's up to you. They've come up with a new model, which I didn't drive, called the XRT, which is an an off-road-ish kind of truck. Um, I don't know exactly what it brings to the table. I haven't been inside of it, so I didn't want to talk about it specifically. But overall, I think maybe the current version or the refresh version of the palisade is somewhat quieter inside yeah. under acceleration than it okay. used to be that's a big deal but other than that it felt very very much the same and i think i need to challenge your statement that the rest of the segment hasn't quite caught up no i don't think they have i think maybe i mean i drove the i drove the pilot pretty briefly i think the pilot might have a chance um, but also, don't forget, there's vehicles like the Pathfinder that are out there now. The Pathfinder's not premium enough. But it's so much better than it was. Sure. And the sure. Highlander has also taken a step forward. I'm not saying it's at the same level as the Palisade. But, I'm but saying the Highlander doesn't feel as spacious, especially that third row, as the Palisade. But it is better than it was, right? Sure. 
I everyone would... has gotten better. You're right. Everyone has gotten better. So but they're still struggling to meet the the benchmark that was set forward by the the Hyundai uh, Palisade. So what I think happened to me was when I first drove the Palisade um, yeah. four years ago. You were wowed. I remember it because I believe it was the one of the first times that my my current partner had met my parents. So like I remember the exact time period. And I remember we all got into this Palisade and drove to a restaurant and, and ate. So it had to have been 2019. I believe it was fall of 2019. So four years later, um, wh- what I remember most about that experience is the impact that the Palisade made on me compared to other vehicles. I felt like it was really a step above and there was a very much clear space between the Palisade and many other crossovers at its price point or even higher than its price point. Now, when I get into the 2023 version... I don't have that same sensation. It still feels like a great, competent, good-looking, well-designed SUV, mm-hmm. but it doesn't seem light years ahead anymore. Interesting. It seems like it's still ahead, but I not think, not yeah. to the same degree. And I haven't driven the new Pilot. I don't think have I driven the new Pilot? No, you haven't driven. Okay. The new I believe I've driven the new Highlander. Yeah. Um, and I've driven the new Pathfinder. You know, I've, the vehicles I talked about, the Explorer, stuff like that. It's. Mm-hmm. It it's it still has that cachet. For me, I really enjoyed the interior of the Palisade. I thought it was quite refined and well stated. Yeah, it's, Hyundai pulls off a few really good details in the in the Palisade. I think details that you would be familiar seeing in a luxury name name brand rather yeah. than a mainstream one. Yeah, and and you know when I get into the vehicle now, they're still there, but I guess they're not making as much of an impression because the other brands have tried to catch up and they've put yeah. effort into it. Now, I think that's fair. I think that's a really fair statement. I think they've, they've, everyone else has raised their game too. Um, now I will admit, I think there was room to improve on the Palisade, but no one else challenged them in the segment in in this section, particularly, which is powertrain. I actually don't love that 3.8 liter V6. I think it's merely adequate. I think it's actually a bit average. What, um, I, what I like about it is that it's not a turbo four. Yeah, okay. And there's so many turbo fours in this segment now. And but I so don't... the Pathfinder doesn't have a turbo four. The new Pilot doesn't have a turbo four. Only the Highlander, I guess. And the the Highlander and the Ascent have turbo fours. The Explorer also has one. Oh right, I and I believe think the some tra- trims of, does of the, the Atlas have it. Does the Traverse have one? No, I don't think so. No, not even at the base model. Maybe the base model. Um, I just don't feel like turbo fours are a good fit for this size of vehicle, especially when you start loading it up. Like you get that instant torque, not instant torque, but you get more torque off the line, like the low end torque of a turbo four. But I finally really run out of breath. One of the common complaints about the Palisade V6 is that you really have to rev it to get performance out of it. But when are you ever really getting performance out of a vehicle like this? Like I didn't encounter a situation where I felt like the engine was straining. So I was happy with it. I like the more relaxed nature of the V6, I guess, compared to the turbo four. Um, But I do agree with you. It's not a particularly groundbreaking drivetrain. And in the previous edition, it wasn't quite as insulated sonic sonically. And it was distracting in that sense when it would rev. Okay. But I, I didn't I didn't have that problem this time. But it's interesting that you mentioned, you know, Pilot, because one of the things I still think the Palisade does very well is compete against the Acura MDX. Yep. And the Cadillac XT6, which are, you know, pr- purportedly luxurious SUVs that are the same size, also three rows. And they just don't really offer anything that's special enough to make me pay that extra amount of money. I'm not saying they're bad vehicles, but I am saying the value is not there. I don't know value and luxury are not 
necessarily no but this is this is the game plan right like hyundai wants you to feel like you're getting everything that you would get in a luxury car for a mainstream yeah and i'm not even i wasn't even driving the calligraphy right like i was driving let me get the exact model um the 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 trim level but uh it was just below that and i think that um i'm gonna pull it up here I think that the so I was driving the limited, which is forty seven thousand, and the calligraphy is only like two grand more. I believe the calligraphy comes with a different front end, uh, somewhat different treatment. And mine was body colored. I had a black vehicle, and it had like, I guess you could call it like a smoky chrome on the front. But if you go with the calligraphy, it's there's a lot of bright work. I think it has its own unique wheels and all that stuff. So yeah. if if that's important, and you get Napa leather inside, if that's important to you, then then fine. But um, Okay. I don't uh, think do want, I don't think yeah. I, what I'm saying I guess is that you don't need the calligraphy to still feel no. like the Palisade is better than or equivalent of the next luxury step up whether that's Buick, Acura, Cadillac or or Lincoln. Although I do think the Lincoln Aviator is dynamically more interesting to drive. I think you know we should really give credit to um Hyundai and Kia for stunning stunning the the established nameplates in a short period of time. I think nobody saw um, this coming to this degree of of expertise um, and and fit and finish, I think nobody really saw this coming. I think now we're going to start seeing responses to it. I think we were. I think we, we already have. No, I don't think they're responsive enough. I think the one car, the one vehicle that I I'm pinning um, my hopes that it'll reach the benchmark set by Hyundai is the Mazda um, CX ninety, which. All, has actual aspirations to being a luxury vehicle. They're saying that part out loud, the quiet part out loud. And it also fixes some of the issues that I have with the the Palisade, which is I think it's a, it's a much more prettier looking car, a little bit sleekier for a three-row crossover. And it has two options for a powertrain, both well over 300 horsepower. One is a PHEV and one with a turbocharged inline six. And it's a rear-wheel drive platform, fair. right? Yeah, I think that's the case. So dynamically, we'll it should be more interesting. Model. I just said dynamically again. It should be more interesting to drive. No, um, I only have, for whatever reason, I have the Canadian pricing, which is so amateur hour of me. But um, I think that this will line up price-wise with the Palisade. It starts at $40,000 and tops out at um, 61 62 So the thing I worry about with 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 mazda is i mean if the pricing is reasonable it's perhaps not a concern but remember when volkswagen brought the phaeton yes to the market i do remember but that was a comp a very complicated vehicle right but, but what i'm saying is it was more of a pricing issue i believe it was 70 or 80 grand when it came out and okay. it was essentially an audi a8 without the a8 or sorry without the audi badging and volkswagen tried really hard to reposition that vehicle in their showroom as being a luxurious model. So they were saying, hey, we, we sell Passats and stuff, but we also sell a luxury car. And okay. for some car companies, I think that works. But I feel like Mazda is going to try to do the same kind of stretch with this new platform, uh, or at the very least, have that level of prestige. And I'm worried that they're not going to be able to pull that off because I don't think people think upscale when they think Mazda, even though their vehicles are quite nice and have been for quite some time. Okay, so I'm looking at the pricing, and I think you're right. Um, it is a bit more than the Palisade because it comes with stand, a turbocharged V6, uh, a turbocharged inline six. And I was mistaken. I said that it makes more than 300 horsepower. I was well off. 
This makes only 280. Why so does it have a turbocharged inline six? That makes less horsepower than the naturally aspirated V6 in the Palisade. That's really disappointing. It okay, really my mistake. Now, I, was, I have a question I for you, Sammy. The PHEV then. I have a question for you. If you put premium fuel in, <laughs> oh, yeah, does maybe. it give you more? Because that's Mazda's trick these days. Um, it doesn't look like it. I know that I've seen so many ads for Mazda specifically where it's like, like no, 15. 280 and 332 pound-feet of torque. Okay, so that's way more torque than – that's about yes. 70 pound-feet more than what you find. But there's also a plug-in hybrid model. Let me try to find – But I'm sure that's works. very expensive. They're not even advertising this BHE. Yeah, because yet. it's too crazy. It's going to blow your mind. <laughs> that's like if you go to Dodge – so the Dodge Hornet is kind of out right now. <laughs> yeah. But if you go to the Dodge website – I was trying to price it the other day. They only Oh, there have, is. Hold on. Sorry. I'm yelling now, but I'm very excited I found a 340 horsepower model. In a, in a top trim model. I don't know what the difference is. But. The difference is premium fuel. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. You're talking about the Hornet. I just say the Hornet, you can only get the pricing for, I believe it's the GT model, which is yes. the Ace Turbo 4. And they make a like a, a, a hybrid, a hybrid yeah. RT, but there's no pricing for it. And you can't order it on the site, but there's all sorts of specs about it. So it's, yes. it's super weird. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm of the opinion that of any of the automakers that are trying to that will accomplish meeting the standards set by the the Hyundai Palisade. I think Mazda can do it. There aren't, there haven't been any other automakers that have shown progress in this in this direction. I don't know. I haven't taken a close enough look at this new Grand Highlander, and whether or not that's going to be too big. But I mean, Grand I, Highlander is probably probably in response to a Palisade. I mean, what else that's is it? What in, I thought. What right? else is it in response to? Right. There's no other three row SUV out there that has that kind of size and attempted prestige. I mean, not really. You'd have to go to the class above where you start looking at body-on-frame vehicles like the Wagoneer. And then you're losing out on other things when you go that way, right? I guess there's Jeep Grand Cherokee L, which is maybe kind of a response to... The Highlander, Grand Highlander, could be a response to that. But again, even though in my mind, I know the Grand Cherokee L and the Palisade kind of compete against each other, I don't... I don't often think of them together. No, because I think you can get, I think Jeep, you're right. Jeep puts itself in that premium space where let's say Buick kind of, not Buick, it's not really a competitive Buick, but like, it's not a main, it's not super mainstream. It's not like a a low cost cut, you know, a budget oriented purchase, but it's not like a super high luxury oriented purchase either. It fits in between these two spaces. Um, And I think it's a great, I I really love uh, Grand Cherokee, Grand Cherokee L. I think they're really strong products. I think um, I think another reason why I'm not thinking Grand Cherokee L when I look at Palisade is because it starts ten thousand dollars higher wow. than, the, than the base Palisade. So if you want to get a comparable to Palisade, but that comes with standard all wheel drive. Sure, I, I think so. Let, let me double check. But what it's I what cheap I, without all wheel drive? Well, you can get a Grand Cherokee without all wheel drive. Wow. But um, if you want to get a Palisade level price on a Grand Cherokee, it's going to be a model that does not have three rows of seating. Okay, so so. So this Grand Highlander, um, I think, will will is designed to compete with the um, Palisade. I just checked, and Grand Cherokee L does not come with two four wheel drive standard. Wow! In the base Laredo, and and the pricing quickly gets out of control. There's the Summit Reserve version of this vehicle is seventy thousand dollars, and there oh, are. I mean, once you add four wheel drive into the mix, there are one, two, four trim levels. So out of the six. Just of the Grand Cherokee that are above fifty thousand. If you go to the L and stay in two wheel drive, you have the same level. So you can get you can get a limited, which is where it starts at fifty. Mm-hmm. And once you're there, 
you're you're already more expensive than the Palisade. So again, so the question comes to comes to the statement that is like the Hyundai Palisade is a great pick for people who are on a budget because it starts at thirty five thousand dollars, and it's also a great pick for somebody who wants to save money while getting all the features yes. at the higher end. Yes, and then there's all. These luxury cars that are too expensive and don't deliver in the places that you really need them to because the Hyundai is the, is well equipped in terms of technology and feature and fit and finish. Um, the only thing you're getting with these these other vehicles, as I mentioned before, is a more advanced powertrain or more powerful. Yeah, powertrain. I mean the Jeep is going to get you more power. There's no question mm-hmm. about that. And you can and this, also even this a- Grand Highlander will top it at 362, which isn't a ton more, but it's some. It's a decent amount. It's like almost 70 more. I mean that's that's yeah. worth writing home about. Uh, and I, I don't know about tow ratings on these vehicles. I'm assuming maybe the Grand, Cher- Grand uh, Cherokee L is is better ca- capable of, yeah. of hauling something. But uh, and it also has the off road cred that you're not going to see on. I mean, assuming you buy four wheel drive, that even like the XRT version of the Palisade isn't going to give you. I just like the concept of the Grand Highlander. Is that okay? Can I say that out loud? You can 100 percent say that. I think Toyota is expecting you to say that, Sammy. <laughs> I'm really concerned that they have this Highlander and this Grand Highlander, which might be comp- competing for the same buyer in some cases, which is what we're saying right now with the with the Palisade is that it covers such a wide spectrum of buyers. And now Toyota has these two products to do the same thing when it seems based on the critical response and maybe the, I'm not sure the commercial response of the Palisade is that people just want a big, cheap, you know, three row. Well, and also there's the fact that Hyundai has what, the 10 year warranty? Is that still a thing? Yeah. So that's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. I feel like, the cool thing about the Palisade is that Hyundai has been building towards this moment. Like all the positive accolades that, you know, auto writers like yourself and I have been giving Hyundai vehicles over the last couple of years. It's not like it just fell out of the sky. They've mm-hmm. been pushing towards this for at least five or six years. Building towards they've been, this And they've tried so many times. Remember the, what was the name? The Veracruz? Was that the other one that they tried to present a, a, a fashion forward, you know, luxury oriented vehicle i don't remember it being particularly luxury oriented but i do remember it not lasting very long it was expensive i think um the the and there used to be a santa fe xl or something like that with a three row santa yes. like a three row santa fe yeah and then that now they just have what santa fe sport and and santa fe is that how it's i how think they broke no it i think they just have a a, a, two, a two row santa fe now and a two-row Tucson now. That's it. Okay. And in any case, they've been working hard to change their station. And it's not just design. It's not just power. It's not just warranty. It's not just reliability. Although I know they've had some issues with a few of the engines. Um, it's 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 a whole recipe that's come together in this moment. And you see it also in Genesis. So yeah. it's hard not to cheer for that. It's hard not to get behind that and be like, this is a car company that has given itself a makeover that's more than just publicity. It's they've actually put some thought into it, it, it. You know, we look at companies like Acura and wonder like why they're not doing the same thing, why they've been so had so much stasis. Uh, Buick, mm-hmm. to a lesser extent, went through a similar metamorphosis over the last decade from like completely irrelevant in almost every single possible way to a vehicle that sorry to a brand that sells a decent number of SUVs. And a part of that is popularity in China, giving them the money to invest in their lineup, but also General Motors not giving up on the brand and being like, no, we think we can make this a success. So, you know, and Lincoln too. Lincoln delivered a couple of really quiet, quietly decent vehicles in their PHEVs, like the the Grand Aviator 
And I think they have a PHEV um, Corsair as well. Sure, and the Navigator is also very good. But I feel like oh, that, yeah. that line. I feel like that lineup has far fewer stars. It's like sure, you look at it, and it's not like they're fully featured. And the the cars that were left behind were kind of left to wither on the vine. And we had the Continental, which came out and and basically did nothing, <laughs> and was abandoned. You yeah. know, which was. Super but then weird. we're talking about these two brands, these two American premium brands. And I would not want to recommend them as eagerly as I would um, a Palisade. And I think there's even some some coolness to the Palisade in terms sure. of design and 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 just sure. But vibe. I would I would recommend a Navigator. I mean, there's nothing oh, in yeah. the Hyundai lineup that that meets up with that. You know? And I like the Aviator too, especially the the higher trim level versions. Yeah. But anyway, that's cool. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of my thoughts on the Palisade. I it, I was worried that you were going to really um, be harsh on it. No, nothing like that. I just. It was just a strange sensation to have a vehicle that I was once so positive on, and now I'm still positive on it, but for different reasons, I guess. It's well, it of... sounds like you, when you talked about the GR86, you drove the GR86, you said this was not as revolutionary as when the when the model first showed up, like yeah. the, the FRS showed up, and they haven't done anything to move the needle, and everyone else has has caught up or moved on or not But I mean, really the, GR, the GR is unique because it doesn't have any competitors, right? Yes. Whereas the Palisade has nothing but competitors. <laughs> yes. You know, it's like the most cutthroat segment. This in like midsize and compact SUVs, I think it's the toughest thing out there. I know I every, everyone talks many, everyone yeah. talks about pickup trucks being tight, but the reality is you're gonna there's sell five. There's like five pickup yeah, trucks. Yeah, and you're gonna sell right. hundreds of thousands of each of them, right? It's like yeah. it's not an issue. But in the in SUVs, it's not the case. So <laughs> there's gonna be yeah. losers, I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> people very, who very people true. who don't capture the Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist, Zeitgeist. I never know how to say it. Now, as popular as both the Telluride and the Palisade are, do you see a lot of them on the road? Yes. You do? Okay. Yes. I'm always concerned that I don't see as many as I think there should be. Is that a weird thing to say? I think it's a weird thing no, to say. No, I understand say. what you're saying. I think it really depends where you live. That's I, one of the biggest influences on what you see. Like, if you go to Detroit, yes, you see so many American cars on the road. You could theoretically be in Michigan and realize that maybe the import brands aren't doing so well, you know? <laughs> and then you go to another city and it's the total opposite. Like here in Montreal, um, where I the, the area that I live is adjacent to an area where there are a lot of luxury cars that you don't normally see um, mm-hmm. in other parts of the city. Oh, yeah. Um, You're the one who's always telling me about these Lucid Airs everywhere. Yeah, this Lucid Airs. There's, there's <laughs> like uh, Bentley Continental GTs convertibles that are driven all through the winter. Sometimes I, I, I come across like street parked um 911 gts gt3s in the winter you know stuff like that so that's not representative of quebec but it's just like because of where i'm driving i happen to see these vehicles the other the thing i do see a lot of in montreal is more santa fe's than palisades they're super 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 popular the alley behind my house there's like five five subarus like wow like four outbacks and one forester you know like it can skew your your perception of what's out there. But I do see Palisades and I do see Tellurides. Okay. Now, if you're done talking about this crossover, I'm ready to talk about what I've, I've been testing, which I think is a little bit more exciting and engaging, although we've talked about it in the past before. Sure. I drove the 2023 Mustang Mach-E, but the GT model, which is which has 480 horsepower and something like 634 pound-feet of torque, um, this is the first time we're talking about the GT, the Mustang Mach-E GT. Yeah. I'll just keep calling it the Mach-E GT if that's okay. Because... Just say GT. Okay. Um, I think this was a surprise to me. I didn't ex- – first of all, after driving so many EVs, 
um, that are like luxury. You know, we, we talked about the GV60 in the past. We talked about the Ionic 5 in the past and the EV6 in the past. Um, I jumped back into this thing, especially this GT model, and was pleasantly surprised about the focus and the priority on driving feel, like the thrill of the drive, which I think is what the the objective of the GT model is. I how does, how does it that. how does it do that though? Like in an well, EV, I mean, it has a ton of power. Like but it, it just does have a ton of power and torque. But in, in an EV where theoretically it's the same platform for all those models, and you're relying on software and battery size and stuff yes. to kind of tweak things. Like, what are the mechanisms a car company is using to make it feel more engaging? I don't know the technical details of it, and even if there is such like a, a software tuning that suggests that you know the throttle response is sharper and a more immediate. But I will say that, like, there are some things in the, in the Mach-E GT that make me laugh. It has these three drive modes. I think they're called Whisper, Engage, and Unbridled. <laughs> Wait, is there deep conditions? No, no. It's like it's like the Lincoln deep condition situation, right? <laughs> but Whisper is supposed to be the, like, calm um, eco mode, which I tend to use um, when driving around town because I want to maintain um, my my range in these EVs. And you don't want to disturb your neighbors with the super loud sounds <laughs> of an electric vehicle. Yes. So I'm going to tell you right now, whatever Whisper's like suggested uh, driving mannerism, it is not slow. Like it is not an eco mode. And I think like Ionic, when I put it in the eco mode, it feels like measured. It feels like you've got a massive sponge on the throttle. Like yeah, you really have to, to get it going. And it it's like... It knows you want to be slow and measured. But even this whisper mode is like, let's go now, right? Like, get going. And you still feel the the that 600 pound-feet of torque just put it, punching you in the back. It's insanely fun to drive. Like, I was really impressed. Um, I took it for a really decent uh, back roads drive. And um, I think the biggest concerns about these vehicles is that they're heavy. This, co- this weighs about 5,000 pounds, which is really heavy. That's like, quite a not bit. Just- That's- like 500 pounds more than the Grand Cherokee we were just talking about, I think. It's, I think, five pounds more than the max towing capacity of the Palisade you were driving. It's entirely possible. <laughs> I think it's 5,000 pounds. I don't know. Um, so I think that's the biggest concern. But based on the tires, perform- big 20-inch performance tires on it, um, and Even really... in the winter. Yes. We had, we had big tires on the winter, yes. Based on the tires, wide tires, too... Um, and the shocks, it has those Magna Ride, or whatever you want to call them, Magna Ride suspension, really um, firm but responsive shocks. I really love that it didn't feel like it was crashing over potholes or anything like that, and um, it was really responsive. I think there are a couple of things to, to, to whine about with this car. I think mainly the price is a bit over the top. It starts at, I would say, 64000 and then I think once you, you know, paint it, it's like another couple thousand dollars. And I don't think that elements of this vehicle are worthy of a, of a vehicle of that price. Yeah, I would the agree. The cabin I mean, in particular. Yeah. So it's no just, different than a standard Mach-E, I guess. Really, like, no. Uh, there's like more aggressive seats, but the seats are not, like the fabric is okay, but there's so much hollow plastic inside, like even behind, you know, the seats and the seat rest that flex. Like, if somebody was to sit behind you, for example, put their hands on the, on the seat back, like, that area just flexes a ton. Like, if they were going to, like, reach around while you were driving and, like, kind of slowly put their hands on your neck and then pull your neck back towards the seat and then it would flex backwards. Yeah. While you're choking, you also can't see the road. That's what you're saying? Yeah. I, I wasn't saying all of that. Hashtag busting Mach-E GT. Most, 
Will you survive the experience? Um, I will also say that the infotainment system is is dreadful. Like it is not my favorite. It What's is dreadful absolute, about it. It is. It is. They took this approach of being minimalist and maybe trying to mimic what Tesla has with that big portrait um, tablet style screen with the one physical knob in the in the bottom center of it. And to do things like change drive modes requires multiple taps to, you know, change um, radio stations is not an, is not a quick um, click of the button or anything like that. I really don't think they they nailed the the intuitiveness of this interface. I and really it has don't a think all like rectangular plastic screen for the driver instead of a game yes. tester, right? Like sticking up on the dash. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not a big fan of that. It's it just looks a little unfinished like it feels like uh, like they cheaped out on, on terms of design yeah and it's a shame sure. because i think actually uh, from certain angles despite the crossover look it is a it is a fairly attractive looking vehicle i compared it to um a genesis gv60 which is also around 60 almost seventy thousand dollars and uh, i found that the mustang is far more attractive and you you get those other elements like the prettier wheels big big colorful brakes but the interior um, in the GV60 blows the Mustang away. Oh, yeah. And the technology really right out the door. Can we talk a little bit? Because you've you've discussed Blue Cruise in the past on, on the podcast. It's specifically in a Mach-E GT. In a Mach-E Not a GT, GT, sorry, but like this a Mach-E. Is the, this is the first time I've had this prompt that says Blue Cruise is available. Press the cruise control button to use it. Now, <laughs> forgive me if I'm wrong, but I thought Blue Cruise was a hands-free driving feature. I think there are many different implementations of Blue Cruise. Because I took my hands off the wheel and it got real angry at me. Yeah. And also, I mean, as I recall during my experience with Blue Cruise, uh, I often had it disengage for various reasons. And when I was in a relatively stormy weather, like not stormy so much as a lot of slush and water being kicked up from the road, it would accelerate towards the back of the vehicle in front of me. Yes. I, Did that happen had, to you? Not quite. Kind of. Like, I'll, I'll explain the, the, the two situations I had with it. Um, first of all, it doesn't automatically do lane changing, which no. is something that is coming more common in these advanced I, driver systems. I think you have to have a... So, Blue Cruise is a subscription. Okay. And there but are why multiple, would it tell me it's available and tell me to turn it on? Because there are multiple tiers. Also, oh. I believe when you first buy the vehicle, you get the the like the base tier, and you can pay more for the other one. Don't quote me on this. And again, okay. it's different from vehicle to vehicle, but that's kind of how they're marketing it. Okay, so I was annoyed that even like a BMW, I think currently does lane changing for you. Well, um, I, I haven't experienced that in a BMW. The eight series, I, I think had, the eight did not series do that. does it. And it did okay. not do that for me. I'll, I'll double check because I think I had an 8 series or maybe a 5 series that was that was doing that. Um, uh, I know Hyundai's and uh, Genesis do it. And then what was the other one? And Super Cruise, of course, does yeah, it. Yeah, Super Cruise does it very well. Which is, I think, the standard for um, these self-driving systems. Yes. Or In terms of safety and functionality together, still not perfect, but definitely the best I've experienced. Okay. Before. The other thing that I don't know if it's a pro or a con, but the smallest gap on the cruise control setting of this Blue Cruise Mach-E GT is very close. Like, nobody's cutting you off in, in this mode, which I think is, is great, but it's terrifying as somebody who's not... not sure yet how quickly the vehicle will respond have you had don't you know like when you put that one gap usually you, you end up getting cut off by everybody anyways yeah and and 
one thing I've noticed about these follow along cruise control systems is that they do not respond well to someone cutting you off in the sense yes. that they either only detect that a vehicle is slowly merging in front of you at the very last minute, in which case you get the brakes slammed on, or they don't mm. detect it at all and you have to take over. That is one of the edge cases where most follow along self semi self driving systems fail at, in yes. my opinion. And I found that this one had some really obscure thoughts as to what car was in front of it when a vehicle when i'm following a vehicle on this low um gap the one gap um and it decides to get out of my my lane it starts signaling and i would say about halfway halfway through it's um first of all i don't know what the car does i might my, my mustang starts slowing down and then once that vehicle is halfway through its lane change it just nails the gas and i'm and i'm like okay that's not that's yeah. too early like so I'm not sold on Blue Cruise, which is a shame because um, overall this Mustang, I think it achieves this Mustang Machi achieves the objective of being fun to drive. This is a rare thing. Now, I is think it in, fun in, to drive because it's fast? And is that the only reason why it's fun to drive? Tell it's the fast, truth. It's got grip. It's capable. Um, it's responsive. And I don't know. I thought like that was that's that's enough for me. Like I I think that was enough for me. Is it? an enthusiast-level vehicle where every emotion or sensation you're Every feeling, emotion? Wait a minute. Sorry, There's, every sensation is being, like, met. Because there are some negative enough. emotions I don't want to experience while I'm you driving. Know, you're not smelling <laughs> the gas or hearing the throttle um, or anything like that. There are some gimmicky noises. But, you know, I think that it, it has an, an amazing powertrain and um, a pretty good, you know, steering setup. And really good suspension system. As someone who owns a race car from the mm-hmm. 70s, I have to interject to say that smelling the gas is an yeah. overrated aspect of driving a fun car. To the point where I think I've regressed two full <laughs> school grades because of the number of the amount of hydrocarbons I've ingested uh, from behind the wheel. <laughs> I don't want to ask what grade you think you're at now, but um, is the there other- a grade just before kindergarten? <laughs> But just yeah. after Montessori, because I think right. that's where I'm at. Um, it's very much possible. There could be. There's, there's school for everyone and everything these days. Um, the one thing that I was going to say is um, customization. This is weird. I think that given a car with so much versatility and so much performance potential, I was really hoping that there'd be like an option to change some of the settings, like a my mode or a, whatever you want to call it, customized mode. There is none of that in the Mustang Mach-E It's GT. just deep conditions all the time. <laughs> yes, unbridled or whatever it's called. Um, there's also no changing to the no changing the regenerative regenerative braking system. No paddles, nothing like that. Um, just I, a one pedal driving system or not? Really, I thought that it was an adaptive system, or there was some type of like deep menu selection that would allow you to do that. I I dug as deep as I could. I couldn't find any braking system. I mean, um, I'm, I'm not changes. A, I'm not a fan of one pedal driving. I find it's too abrupt. I um, agree. Uh, and I also feel that sometimes there's like a delay between um, letting off the throttle or something. Like it's inconsistent. I think is the way I'm trying to say what yeah. I'm trying to say. Yeah, and every so, company implements it differently, right? So, I was really disappointed with these these facets of the vehicle, and um, of course, the interior could been could have been better for, given the price of like sixty five grand. Yeah, I think the price of the Mach E GT is a fantastical number. I'm I'm constantly <laughs> shocked by it because, I, as we've talked about in the past, you know, we have the Palisade as kind of our standard for SUVs, but mm-hmm. for EVs, 
I feel like the Ionic and I guess for some people, the EV6 from Kia are becoming the standard just because they do a really good job of combining power design and a nice cabin and features, you know, and you look at the pricing of those models and it doesn't even approach what a Mach-E GT does. And I feel like the experience is better for with for less money. Yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is that those other vehicles are well catered to the to the mass audience, to the general public, somebody who wants to use a vehicle um, for every condition. And I think the Mach-E GT is for a different buyer, obviously one that's thinking more about speed and performance. Um, and that's too much of a price premium for that. And the, uh, Kia, the Kia EV6 GT, which just came out this year, I believe. Yeah, well, it's interesting to hear two model, two automakers using this GT branding. Well, I mean, the- Kia's had GT for a long time, to be fair. Yep. Uh, they had the GT line. It's kind of been their whole thing. I think Ford's had it longer. But I Okay, I guess so. It's not a contest, but <laughs> okay, I, I'm just right. saying I don't think that – GT just means Grand Touring, and I don't yes. think it belongs to Ford. Um, it makes more power. This EV6 GT. And it has the nice interior. Yeah. And it's $61,000. So it's cheaper. It's cheaper. And I feel <laughs> like this is going to be problematic for Ford moving forward. I mean, they had a little bit of runway because the Mach-E came first in the minds of a lot of people. Sure. And now that that's no longer a factor, um, I think they'll probably have to address some of these these uh, issues that we have with it. I mean, not because we have it, not because Ford is listening right now, frantically taking notes and saying must improve Maki interior. But I do think that it, it would behoove them to do that, especially, you know, we're in a world now where what there's the Blazer EV, which is coming yep. out with an SS model, and that's going to easily match the, the Kia and the Ford at the same time. So they're not going to be the fastest, quickest non-luxury brand on the block anymore. The one thing to mention, if you are thinking of cross-shopping the Mustang Mach-E GT with that EV6 GT, is that there's a pretty big difference between the two in terms of mileage. The uh, EPA estimated range of the Mustang Mach-E GT is about 270. I got less than that, obviously, because I was driving it a little bit faster and it was cold. Um, and I believe that the the EV6 is, like, is only over 200. Only which is over a big... 200. Are you sure about that? Yeah, it says 206. Okay, that is, I mean, the standard key EV6 is like 230. But it's got a significantly smaller battery, 77 versus like 90 something. And it also has a significantly quicker charge time. Yes. Now, that's the other element which might be in favor. I mean, it's a trade-off, right? Yeah. So the the EV is, uh, the EV6, oh, and, and any Hyundai EV to, for that matter, has the 350 kilowatt charging in theory. I mean, we you'll never see that number in the real world, but you will see no. above 200. Um, on a Hopefully. good on a good day, you can you can achieve that. Whereas I think when the stars align, the fastest you'll ever charge with the Mustang is like one twenty five. Yeah, one yeah, something like that. And don't forget, once it hits eighty percent, it's like they both slow. get off. Yeah. It's insane how slow it goes. Yeah, it really slows down. I mean, I I we talked about it last summer. I think we talked about it a little bit, but I did a very long road trip, about mm-hmm. three hundred fifty miles each way in this vehicle, not the GT model, but the slightly less powerful one. And the charging was very quick. I had a, a good experience with it, but it's it's not nearly as quick as what you would experience with a Hyundai or a Kia. Yep. Okay, uh, that's all I wanted to talk about this week. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up or shout out or anything? The only thing I want to bring up is that if people want to find out more about the podcast, if you've enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more, we have like 300 or so of these episodes floating around out there in the ether and they are all captured and corralled electronically at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. All of our episodes are there 
And also we have a whole slew of buttons you can click to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher. If you don't feel like going on the web, and honestly, I get it, you can just whatever podcatcher you're using right now, type in Unnamed Automotive Podcast, subscribe to us, like us, leave a comment. Any kind of interaction really helps us kind of boost the profile of the podcast and get it in front of more eager ears. Um, if you want, people wanted to get in touch with us, Sammy, and ask us questions about why we are the way we are or mm-hmm. things about cars, even, <laughs> how would yeah, they do hopefully. that? Hopefully, uh, they can go to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. There's a contact form there. You fill it out and it'll land on our inbox. Additionally, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, without going through our website, you can email us. It's Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com or you can reach out to us on social media. Ben is on Instagram. He's at HuntingBenjamin. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy underscore ha, H-A, like you're laughing. Sammy, what are you going to be talking about next week? I think it's about time for me to talk about the Lexus RZ450E. Okay, I'm also going to be talking about a Lexus, and it is also electrified, but not fully electrified. It is the Lexus NX450H+. And <laughs> wow, I have, what a name. I have to say, Sammy, I am pleasantly surprised by this vehicle. Don't spoil. We need to add spoiler alerts. Well, it's because last year I talked about the standard hybrid NX and I was not pleased with it. (laughs) And, you know, 12 months later, I'm driving the plug-in model and I have a different set of thoughts that I I need to express. Okay, listener, you won't want to miss that. So be sure to tune in next week to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. Thanks. Bye, Bye, everybody.